Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited as we start preparing the countdown for the new year to have a great episode lined up for you. It's the four safety mega trends for 2022. 22 is a year ahead, is two plus two. So we have four experts with us uh, that are going to share four key mega trends to start looking out for in 2022. Wow. Are you ready? Let's go. Three, two, one. Together with me, I have Dr. Josh Williams, who's been on our show several times. Uh, Josh, do you want to say a quick intro to yourself? Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, excited for 2022. And uh, I've been doing this 20-something years, getting old, but uh, looking forward to our, our session today. Thanks, Eric. Excellent. Well, thank you. And also have with me Martin Royal. Martin Royal has been with Propolo uh, for well over 10 years. He's been doing a lot of phenomenal work with leaders uh, as part of organizational change. Martin, do you want to do a quick intro to yourself? For sure. Thanks, Eric. And hello and bonjour, everyone. Glad to be on the show today and looking forward to discuss more about learning uh, cultures today. Excellent. Thank you. And Eduardo, who's coming back on the show, uh, partner as well with Propolo Consulting for 20, 25 years, has been doing phenomenal work or driving organizational change, more specifically last 15, 20 years, specifically around safety culture. Eduardo, welcome back. Thank you, Eric. Uh, happy to be here with you and the rest of the audience. Really looking forward to this conversation and to helping leaders create environments where people can work safely um, and uh, do so because they want to, not just because they have to. Excellent. Love that. Okay, so four topics, as I promised, uh, looking at 2022. First one, we're going to talk a little bit about the new normal with COVID. What does back to the workplace means? How it's impacting mental health, stress, fatigue, and active care, and what that means for safety. And then we're going to talk into BHOP with Josh uh, leading the conversation around some of the evolution around behavior-based safety, integration around human performance. Then we're going to go jump into Martin, who's going to talk about learning organization, one of the key, key tenets of a great safety culture. And moving on, really where the rubber hits the road, we're going to pass it on to Eduardo, who's going to talk about supervisory skills and how do you hone those into 2022 to get real impact. So first, let me start a little bit on the new normal. So obviously, uh, dates have been changing for returning to the workplace. Uh, new variants are are up in the news as we record this episode, getting ready for the new year. Uh, hybrid, remote work, return to work, who really knows what's happening? Some businesses have set on it, some are still migrating. Well, what does that mean from a safety standpoint? First, from a mental health standpoint, it's so important. Uh, we've talked about it in other episodes uh, of The Safety Guru. Mental health is critically important, not just from uh, well-being of the workforce, uh, thinking about all the effects that, that mental health uh, has taken over the last two years or so, uh, but it also has a direct impact when it comes to safety performance. Uh, if you're maybe distracted, there's things on your mind, uh, you're not focused full attention on your job, 
that poses a safety risk. And so that's where, as a safety professional, it's really important to start bridging that divide between mental health, which is often discussed in the HR field, uh, with uh, the safety side of the equation. And that's really where active care matters. If I know who my team members are, I notice that maybe somebody's off a little bit today and maybe I need to check in to see how they're doing. Are they okay? Um, I love there's this quote in, in, um, in Australia where uh, the, the way they talk about mental health is simply with the expression, are you okay? Um, so really reflecting, connecting with your team members, knowing when something's a little bit different, something's a little bit off, um, and, and having the courage to jump in and really check in with them. So mental health, I think, is going to be hugely important as we start getting into 2022. Uh, the next one is really around stress and fatigue. Uh, we've talked about a lot. We've done some work internally in our, on our list of the five key drivers of human error. Number one on that list is stress and fatigue. Stress is, is obviously incredibly present. Uh, over the last 18 to 20 months, people have been mostly working harder, longer hours. Uh, there's more uh, changes in the workplace that drive stress. That also drives fatigue. If I'm not getting a good night rest, um, then I'm going to be more fatigued, which we know can put me uh, in front of greater risk when I'm not fully there and fully focused, which really gets me into active care and really that theme around uh, something that, that most organizations have been talking about for the last uh, 20, 30, 30 years around safety. It really does matter. I talked about it before in terms of mental health. I know my team members, I know how they're showing up. I'm more likely to be able to notice that something's different. Uh, I wrote an article just a, a few weeks ago. It was published in Forbes magazine. We had done a survey uh, several months back and 80% of businesses that we had surveyed, we had talked to obviously on the more mature side of safety cultures, uh, reported that they had shown some improvements around how leaders showed up around active care. Phenomenally important. What's important is also, how do I embed that into the business? How do I start thinking about those themes, capturing the learnings, and really making it uh, real on the day-to-day? -day? Uh, if you haven't checked it out, that's on, on Forbes, uh, Forbes.com. You can have a quick look. Uh, and, and really around active care is really this element of felt leadership and how, as a leader, I'm building in a conversation, uh, how I'm being recognized, and that has a direct correlation to outcomes. We were doing some work with one of our clients and what was really interesting is we started seeing a strong, strong correlation between uh, outcome indicators of safety performance and whether the team members had interacted over the last month around safety, perhaps with coaching conversations, that element of felt leadership was so directly correlated to uh, outcomes. Really, really critically important. Josh is going to talk about it uh, very soon when we start talking about conversations. He um, shared just this morning with me an article uh, that talked about how uh, having good conversations uh, around observations can lead to 47% improvement around SIFs and a 60% uh, reduction around hazards showing up in the workplace. So uh, on that note, I don't know if any of you have anything to jump in on this theme of mental health, stress and fatigue and active care. Uh, so, so critical as you start looking at 2022 and really bridging the gap between what's traditionally the domain of HR and the domain of safety. Yeah, I mean, my experience, you know, I think we could all on this call uh, relate to it is when we're talking with folks, whether we're doing assessments, interviews, focus groups, we're hearing stress more and more ever since COVID hit. Everybody we talk to, it seems like, is doing more with less. It's tough. So we feel for, for people out there. Everyone's kind of in the same boat struggling through it. And the felt leadership's a big part of it. We're going to talk about human performance and how that relates to, 
to felt leadership. And Eric, if I can, um, let me just jump in for a bit. You know, human performance is, is all the rage right now. People are talking about hop, or we call it B-hop. Um, so just a quick, I'm just going to do a quick background on behavioral safety, kind of the evolution into human performance, and what that means for the good conversations we need to have with folks, and this notion of felt leadership, how we transform a culture. So just back in the old days, uh, when I was coming up, uh, behavioral safety was taken over. Before that, there was a lot of emphasis on attitudes and motivation. Those are important things. The challenge was, what do we do with it? Sometimes you get a, a one-and-done motivational, inspiring um, you know, presentation or whatever, or, or training, but then the, that's it. What do we do? So behavioral safety came in, and of all the research out there, if you want to get nerdy and start looking up statistics and research, in the safety field, you're not going to find more uh, than you will on behavioral safety. It has been studied for decades. There is all kinds of science and research showing the benefits of behavioral safety. And what it did was kind of transform the focus, not just in terms of what I'm thinking and feeling, but what am I doing? As we all know, if you minimize risky behaviors on the front end, you minimize the chance of something bad happening on the back end. I mean, I hate to be cold, talking about human life, but it's in many ways, it is a math equation. Fewer risky behaviors in the front end equals less chance of something going wrong in the back end. Doesn't guarantee it, but it makes it a lot less likely. So focusing on behavior is smart. Mm -hmm. And so behavioral safety comes along and there's science behind it. And one of the biggest benefits is you've got checklists that are used to see what's going on, what's working well, what's not working well. We, and you know, theoretically, we're getting input from people doing the work hearing what they have to say and making changes based on it. It's a beautiful system. Martin's going to talk about learning culture in a moment, but it's a beautiful system when done properly to get that input to create a true learning culture on a regular basis as opposed to kind of one-and-done training sessions. The challenge is it's not easy to do. So as I as we transition to talk about uh, BHOP and human performance, on the behavioral safety side, three big things happen that made it difficult to do. First is implementations were poor. You started, it became a commodity. So people are buying and selling behavior-based safety. So people are throwing out checklists without the proper training, with no discussion on conversations, essentially saying, here's a, a checklist and go use it. Very quickly, when I was in graduate school, we did a, a research with funded by NIOSH at a company. Half the group was given a card and said, go use it. The other half created their own checklists and rules for use and other things around it that we call it the participation group. They use their cards seven times more than the people that were simply told, here's a card and go do it. And too often with behavioral safety failures, there was not a proper implementation on the front end. It was, here's a card, yeah. here's how you fill it out, go do it. So, you know, not surprisingly, it didn't work. That was the first big. The second one, this was, the second big issue was technology. And it's great to have technology help us when we're doing various functions on the job, but these behavioral checklists got increasingly long because it was easy to fill out on technology. So I'm filling out a 50 or 60 item checklist. That's crazy. Nobody's doing that properly, or very few people are. It became a problem. It became all about the cards and the checklists and the quotas. Mm -hmm. Would you get your one in at the end of the month? So now that you got this system of quotas, of pencil whipping, and a larger problem of this black hole where we're filling stuff out and we never hear back. So employees are not talking to each other first, but second, they're bringing up issues that are important and no one's getting back to them. So not surprisingly, behavioral safety, there were some struggles. The third issue is simply it's hard. 
it's hard to maintain something long term. So we got to acknowledge that, particularly uh, on the behavioral side. So as I try, I'm trying to go quick on the on the hop side, on the B hop side, we're talking about human performance, and and the two big tenets there. One, quit blaming people for getting hurt. Right. Deming said this years ago. Don't blame people for problems created by the system. The second part of that is fix the system. The first response when someone gets hurt is not who screwed up. It's where did the system fail? We've got to reorient our thinking to understand that we all operate uh, in, in a context. And if we improve the system, it influences our behavior. The very quick story, i got to do a one sports analogy real quick. Randy <laughs> Moss, great receiver, trouble guy, problems throughout his career on and off the field. Goes to the Patriots. Not that I'm a Patriots fan, but they've got a tight system. Overnight, he's a night and day guy. He's out in the community doing all this stuff for charity. Now he's on TV doing this stuff. Total transformation. Same guy in a different system behaves very differently. If we improve systems, we're improving the likelihood of better attitudes and better behaviors out there. So I just want to kind of point that out real quick. Two more thoughts here before we transition over here to Martin. In terms of the B-hop, what we call it, it's, a, it's, it's behavioral and human performance. There's a lot more emphasis on people talking to each other. As Eric mentioned earlier, it's about having good conversations. These cards that we use, when we roll it out with clients, we're talking four or five things. What scares you about the job? What do we need to do differently? What would you do differently? How can we help? These are open-ended questions, getting people talking. And if we respond to that and address issues based on those comments, you don't need incentives and all these other gimmicky things to get people to fill them out. They want to because stuff's getting addressed. So the, the, the B-hop is all about conversations and being responsive to concerns uh, when, they're, when they're being brought up. And again, mistakes are seen as opportunities to learn as, a, as opposed to occasions to punish. It's all that just culture people are talking about in a nutshell. That's what it is. So the last point real quick is positive accountability. Some of the concerns that people have with human performance is you're, we're jettisoning any personal accountability when mistakes happen. That's not true. We're just trying to reorient to the first response being address the system factors and supervisors it's, it's a tough role for supervisors mm. who are trying to keep <laughs> they need to set clear expectations and use positive means to maintain those expectations that we've all agreed on that's positive accountability it's doable it's hard but it's doable so the end of this uh, is essentially when BHOP is done properly we're improving felt leadership there are various tools like leadership listening tours Leaders are going out asking questions. They're not, they're, they're, they're not going around saying good, bad, or, or indifferent. They're out there asking questions, trying to learn. That creates an environment of openness, which is part, again, of that felt leadership. Saying felt leadership is one thing. Using listening tours is actually doing it. So there are some tools in human performance that help with that, that felt leadership we, we, we mentioned, as well as good conversation. So with that said, I'll turn it over to Martin. We're going to talk more about learning culture. Yeah, and I think before I go there, I just want to emphasize, I think your point around BHOP is really key. A lot of people have implemented some form of observation program. Many of them, it's not working anymore. Uh, people aren't using it. They're mailing it in. Don't throw it out with a bad water. It's time to start thinking about how, how do you re-energize? How do you get better better conversations? And I love your approach, Brad, deeper questions to, to ask people to reflect on uh, what's dangerous about what you're going to do today. Um, and really starting kind of deepening those relationships, but 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 always to keeping those elements from the behavioral-based safety side that does work. So thank yeah. you, Josh. Yeah. Martin, so you're going to talk to us a little bit about learning organization. 
probably one of the key, key tenets of, of a great uh, safety culture. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. For sure. Thanks, uh, Eric. And I'd like to share a bit more today about my prediction for the future of learning organization, but also to combine that with our, our focus on discretionary effort, the employee experience, and safety. Because uh, for, for our listeners, are probably all aware that at Propolo, we focus on discretionary effort as a way for our clients to gain a competitive advantage right, when it comes to safety and safe production. And what we know is that uh, when it comes to workplace behaviors that drive safety, there's those that are, uh, you know, we call the our compliance behaviors, you know, completing hazard assessment form, following safe work procedures, wearing the right PPE. But what we found, it's not sufficient for the workforce to uh, engage in compliance behaviors to drive exemplary safety performance. And, and so these beyond the minimum behaviors are more difficult to measure, say, and they often involve positive safety behaviors that are targeted toward achieving your safety goals, like staying vigilant in the face of changing conditions, supporting the team, sharing safety information. And of course, we won't see any of these behavior listed on a, any employee job description, but a lot of our organizations that are doing extremely well uh, safety-wise will have employees or a greater proportion of employees that demonstrate these mm-hmm. behavior. And What's interesting about discretionary effort is that it only emerges when there's a high level of workforce engagement and commitment, right? So that discretionary effort is the behavior, behavioral manifestation of engagement. And so I wanted to share some insight today around the concept of worker experience, how uh, as a, uh, an organization that focuses on learning and how can we increase that, uh, that discretionary effort in our workforce. Now, why why is the worker experience why, what what does it matter right? like i would say the employee experience is the hallmark of learning organization because the emphasis is on developing the mindset the behaviors and system that are conducive to have an, an optimal employee experience that will then encourage high safety performance and discretionary effort now for the listeners that are might be familiar within the IT industry so software companies have talked about the user experience for right. quite some time it's to describe the experience of app users how they engage with the app uh, it's a concept that focuses on the emotional response of users uh, and how they interact with the features and functions. Uh, Facebook, Google, Twitters are masters at this uh, to create engaging users experience. Now, the same ideas we can take for employees in the organization. Right? So employee or the worker experience to simply describe how employees think and feel through every touch point during their time with the organization. Mm-hmm. Could be recruitment, onboarding, development, uh, performance to things like long absences of work, remote working, onboarding, uh, or things like incident investigation, injury remediation, disciplinary action. Right, And so why, why we want to look at this employee experience is simply that the employee experience underlies the commitment and engagement that we need to drive discretionary effort. And you could think about it that the, your employee's experience with safety management, the system, will determine at the end the extent to which they will adopt, use, and improve on these systems. And I wanted to share an example 
that remind me of a client of ours, uh, a uh, European zinc and silver mine uh, that I happened to visit, I think, five, six years ago. And um, the their HSC team would share with us their concerns that the miners were not reporting near misses. Not anything that's surprising. Mm-hmm. We've heard of these kind of concerns before. Now, putting the mindset aside around reporting near misses, when you look at the process of reporting near misses at that mine, it was quite cumbersome. And at first, we have to understand the workers operated at uh, 500 feet below ground, and there was no way for them to fill out any form whatsoever, okay, if any uh, incident or near misses were happening. Uh, these near miss forms were in a building adjacent to where the miners would meet before taking off at the end of mm-hmm. the day. The form itself was convoluted. Uh, workers would drop it off in a box <laughs> to preserve an anonymity, which is good, but then no one would hear back <laughs> from these reports or if any corrective actions were taking place. And so while while many leaders are often tempted to blame workers eh, for poor attitudes uh, toward incident reporting or lack of motivation, when you look at these workers' experience of the near-miss reporting system, uh, you can see that it's quite easy how someone might just feel frustrated, disempowered to submit uh, these kind of reports, let, let alone even appreciating the value of doing so. And so if we want to build on more positive employee experience around safety systems, a couple of things that we can look into. One is looking at the, uh, the the factors, the main factor that may drive that positive experience. Could be the safe work procedures, safety policies, tools and equipment, uh, learning and reporting system, safety communication means, uh, the reward and recognition system, field oversight. Uh, I would even go to look at a, the, the co-worker and peer relationship. And the goal would be to determine how the work how workers experience these systems and whether these systems are supporting their intended goal, which uh, we'll presume it is about encouraging error identification, prevention, and mitigation. Now, what if I'm a manager and I'd like to improve my employees' experience? All right. So a couple things. For me, I would say, as as, as a leader, I'd say start with yourself. Right? How How are your employees experiencing you? Do they feel they are treated fairly? Do they feel that you value their opinion and contribution? Do they feel they're encouraged and supported? Do they feel that you provide them with opportunities for development? Uh, Do they feel that you hold them accountable for high safety standard? Uh, Or even do they feel that you show authentic concerns for them as individual? I'd say that's the first, and and as Josh mentioned uh, earlier, this, I mean, Basically, it is about going and, and talking yeah. to our people, right? talking to workers and getting that sort of feedback. But here's the thing. As a second step, so I would say that you start with yourself as a leader. Second is you could do the same with your frontline supervisors. And also try to get that feedback is how are the workers experiencing your frontline supervisors? Same kind of questions to start to get a sense about how or why are they doing the things they do? And are there elements around the, the, the leadership that could be improved? Now, third might be around the systems that you want to gather feedback on, uh, which often requires to get out in the field, get the feedback, seek to understand the experience of these systems, what works and what doesn't work. Um, I, my experience is we need to ask also the right questions, okay? Especially if the workers have not been uh, accustomed to provide any input. Uh, especially to senior leaders. So questions might be things like, what gets in the way for you to work safely? How can we improve our approach to report safety incident or name another safety system that we want to look into? 
what do you think we could improve? What are the things you think about our recognition program? So I, I'll recommend you, you pick just a different list of a system that are more mm -hmm. critical that you want to get feedback on and just go out there to get that, that feedback. Now, one thing I'll say, though, you might need for in certain workspaces, um, might need to build a trust first if trust sure. is in there. Um, and, and one of the reason is if people have had some mistrust or, or towards senior management, they may not open up. And so we're going to need to start building that trust, building uh, a bit of the, the commitment that if the feedback is provided, um, that something will be done about it. And, and so I, as a leader, I would say the goal is not to, to make commitment to make ma massive critical infrastructure improvement, but more small improvements that demonstrate that, hey, we listen to you and we're going to take action to make things better. So we'll see later on. I know that my colleague Eduardo will, will hone in on the supervisor's experience, but I wanted to share that, yeah, as, as a learning organization, at the end of the day, it's really about looking how are we operating and what's the impact on our, our, our workforce? And if we want to give them a better experience, what are some of the changes we can uh, take on? Thank you. Thank you, Martin. I think that this whole theme of learning organization mm -hmm. so key to safety and definitely should be an area of focus going into 2022. So, Eduardo, uh, you've talked last time you were on the show, you talked a little bit about supervisory skills. Couldn't agree more. It's really where the rubber hits the road. This is where... Uh, safety culture really manifests itself and how you have impact uh, is going to be how the supervisor interacts with with team members. And too often I've heard <clears throat> team members saying uh, they'll trust their supervisor, they'll do what their supervisor does. They're more important to them day to day than, than the CEO even is. So Eduardo, over to you. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. And, and thank you, um, uh, Martin and, and Josh as well. Yeah, it, it is really uh, where the rubber meets the road. And, and, and I understand what you're saying about uh, what uh, workers um, comment in terms of their relationship to their supervisor and he or she being more important than the CEO. Now, this is, this is logical because, I mean, oftentimes they don't even know the CEO. They've, mm -hmm. they've seen him on a, on a <laughs> pamphlet, on a brochure. They've heard him speak, maybe, but they don't know him or her personally, and they yeah. do know the, the supervisor. And so that person, really, the supervisor, is, is where the rubber meets the road. I would say for two reasons. One, because they are in direct contact with the worker and thus they are able to influence that person and they do for, for good or for, mm. or for bad um, constantly. And second, because supervisors are really between a rock and a hard place. And, and Josh was mentioning that we feel for, for people and we feel for supervisors because we understand the challenges that they face between producing and keeping people safe and, 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 it is, and it is a challenge. It's, it's not easy to, to handle that challenge, but it can be done. And we know from experience and from working with many, many organizations that when organizations and supervisors and, and other more senior leaders focus on safety, people work better. They, they mm. produce more. They, they, they produce uh, with higher quality. Um, but you need to... But if... Uh, supervisors are really where the rubber meets the road. We need to um, invest in them and we need to train them and we need to develop them. And unfortunately, that is usually not the case. Um, 
supervisors are usually promoted through the ranks in organizations because of what they know, because of the type of worker they are, and the level of performance they have, which, um, which it really, in, to, it, to one, in one sense, it's important that they know the job, that they know the technical mm -hmm. aspects of the job, because they'll be supervising people directly. But um, oftentimes, many of the things that made them stand out as individual workers get in, their way, in the way of them being effective leaders. Because being a, an effective worker, it's really about, being, uh, about getting stuff done by, your, uh, by yourself, being assertive. Um, and as a leader, you really need to get stuff done to other people. And that requires leadership skills. And leadership skills are very different from technical skills. Uh, we're talking here about uh, your capacity to create relationship, your capacity to interact with people, your capacity to listen to people, to get people thinking, to get people speaking, to get people uh, that, that discretionary effort that Josh and Martin were talking about it's, is key. And there is no one in the organization that has more power to, to really generate that container, that environment where people are willing to go that extra mile to be creative, to think about things, to stop and pause before they do the, the work than supervisors. So really investing in them and developing them as uh, leaders is key. Now to do that, we need to, um, we need to give them all these skills that I talked about. And one key skill that I think is crucial is helping them to become better coaches. Because in essence, and with the type of work that people do nowadays in industry, um, it, it's really um, essential that their direct leader, that is their supervisor, uh, be able to coach people so that they themselves can uh, become more self-aware, become better at managing themselves, uh, really uh, coaching people to think about the work that they're doing and to consider what uh, are the risks, what are the hazards that they will be facing and how they will be mitigating those risks. Mm -hmm. Now, again, unfortunately, because these are not necessarily skills that we, that, that, that we have naturally, um, some supervisors uh, develop mm -hmm. them naturally, and, and we've seen rock star supervisors, but many don't. They, 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 they've never developed them and they've never been taught. But these are really uh, skills that are essential um, because it's in those co coaching conversations that supervisors have with workers that you will get workers to really um, look at how they work, look at their behavior, and really get them to think about what they're doing so that they don't get hurt on the job. Um, it, to, in this regard, um, we've come up with very specific skills that we teach supervisors. Um, and we do so both um, in a classroom setting, um, and, and this is not your typical classroom with lots of PowerPoint slides and, and lots of concepts. No, the, the, these are about supervisors having conversations about what challenges they're having with people, what, they, what it is that they want workers to do that they're currently not doing, and what they can do to get workers to do this. And it's, these classes are full of role plays, 
uh, where, where, where they act out that relationship between worker and supervisor and how to have those conversations. And ultimately, we even uh, in, in develop supervisors through field coaching, having them in having them practice these skills in real life situations. And some of these skills have to do, uh, we come up with, with a, an acronym called DARE. And, and we call it DARE because it really takes courage to lead in this way. First off, because we're not used to leading in this way, and, first, and it's going to be uncomfortable starting out. Uh, second uh, of all, because we're asking supervisors to step away from this traditionally authoritative role of I'm the boss, I'm yep. the supervisor, I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it, to more a collaborative relationship. And so that takes certain things. It takes the ability, as I said before, to create relationship. Um, as you've all mentioned uh, during this this conversation, it really takes an ability to not just care for, for people, which most supervisors do, we don't doubt that, but to actively show that care um, and to delegate work in a manner that promotes safety. Now, what do I mean by this? Uh, telling people what to do and how to do it um, does not work. First off, you don't know whether the other person heard you, mm -hmm. and you certainly don't know whether the other person understood you. And so telling someone what to do and how to do it, and then we tend to ask people, or supervisors tend to ask people, did you understand? And, and of course, <laughs> people are going to say, yes, I of understood. And, uh, <laughs> but of course. But, uh, but that doesn't mean they understood. They just means, it just means they're saying that because they don't want to look foolish. So delegating work uh, effectively means telling people what to do, but asking them how they're going to do it. And furthermore, asking them what risks they will be facing and how they will mitigate those risks. Um, second, and this again takes courage because it's not something we're used to, the A in DARE is about acknowledging safe work. And this is really key. We know uh, from years and years of, of studies in, in, in various fields that people really thrive in an environment where they are recognized, they're appreciated, they're acknowledged for the things that they do. And yet, traditionally, we don't do that. We just focus on what's wrong. Now, here's the problem with focusing on what's wrong. Many people will say, well, that's where I need to focus. That's where the gap is. I need to mm -hmm. talk about what's wrong. The problem is it's unfair and it's counter, uh, counterproductive. And it's unfair because people do more right things, they do more safe work than they do dangerous work. And thus speaking to them always about what they do wrong, what they do unsafely is, is unfair. And second, it's, it's unproductive because if I, Eric, I'm your supervisor and I come to you and I correct you, and then I come again and I correct you again, and then I come back and I correct you again, what's going to happen the fourth time I come around? Are you going to be uh, all happy to see me? Oh, I'm me sure. I'm going to be thrilled to see to you. Have... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hate me. Um, so, so it's really important to do that. The next aspect is, is redirecting at-risk work. And that, of course, is important. We need to redirect uh, unsafe behaviors. We need to redirect... Uh, unsafe conditions, but it takes skill um, mm -hmm. to do that, such that you can redirect without offending the other person and with 
in a way that not just maintains, but actually strengthens their relationship and really has the other person take the message to heart. Um, and finally, the E in, in, in the DARE uh, acronym is engage. And it's really what Martin was talking about uh, of generating this learning culture where there's this back and forth with the organization and with the people that are really the experts of the work itself, uh, which are the workers. So it really teaching supervisors to, to create environments, to create conversations where people are willing to engage, are willing to speak up, um, and, uh, and that's really what this is, what this is all about. So um, yeah, really passionate about uh, helping organizations uh, upskill their supervisors because as I said at the beginning, this is really where the rubber meets the road, and if we get this piece right, a lot of good can be done. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, I think you tied everything together, Eduardo. I think the the element of how how a supervisor starts interacting, create a safe environment, how they're coaching, links to some of the themes that that Martin was talking about earlier in terms of creating a learning organization where people want to put in more discretionary effort towards towards safety, where we're constantly learning from what could go wrong, <clears throat> which ties us back to. To Josh was also talking about conversations and and really those coaching interactions and and really the element of, of how do we start looking at things from a just culture standpoint? How do we start uh, removing a lot of the the risk and the blaming of the employees, but still continuing to do some of the good stuff around behavioral observations, driving better conversations, and then at the front end when I was talking about really the the key element around mental health, well-being, really bridging that divide between safety and HR really addressing some of the impacts around stress and fatigue, and then really the active care and felt leadership. All of those key pieces, I think, are really the four core megatrends to focus on in 2022. So really appreciate uh, all four of you joining me today. Eduardo, uh, Martin, Josh, uh, great conversation, great topics to explore, uh, and wish you a happy new year. Happy, safe new year. Yes, happy and safe new year to everybody. Happy New Year, everyone. But any, I would say. <laughs> Let's count down together. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Fireworks, champagne. Happy New Year. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.